many of you know, Larry and I um, aren't originally from New York City. We're from Ohio, and we have family kind of all over the country. And so oftentimes we'll go and visit our family or we're on vacation, and this regular experience happens for us where we realize we need to go to the local uh, grocery store to get a few things. And this always happens. Uh, Larry is always super infuriated by this experience because most of the time, the stores are just enormous, right? They have everything you can possibly want just in this huge, enormous store. And it's all over the place. Like one thing can be, you know, like a mile from another place. And so he doesn't know where he's going and he's always getting super frustrated. And then you find what you need and there's like 12 different options there. And so then you're like, what, how do I decide? Is it, you know, what's cheapest, the brand you recognize, maybe it's the catchiest label, which sometimes I'll say, oh, that's cute, I'll take that. Um, but um, every time we leave the store, Larry kind of grumbles about the experience and how it was so overwhelming for him. Now, I don't want you to think that Larry doesn't like to shop, because he does, even for groceries. Um, but he loves the grocery store change chain Aldi. If you've ever heard him talk about it, many of you love it too. A little round of applause for Aldi. Um, of course, you know, we love to save money, but uh, Larry loves the size of this store because it's so much smaller than a lot of other grocery stores. And so that means it requires a lot less decision making for him because they have a lot less stuff. So if you think to yourself, I, I need some corn, the only decision you need to make is, do I want canned corn, fresh corn, frozen corn? That's the only options that are available. And so what that means is a lot, lot less decision making, um, a lot less space required, a lot less employees are required to stock the shelves, which means you can get through quicker, which means you, you spend less money. So when it comes to Aldi, less is actually more. But that is really rare for our culture, where we're regularly told through marketing and I think even through our politicians that more is better, bigger is better, that excess is a sign of success. Our country was built on expansion. You think about it, we today expand our economy, our wealth, our homes, our stuff, but there is always a negative cost to expansion, to excess. And it just made me think about just our own history in America, the cost of expansion, right? The cost to people and to families and to natural resources in our country and the quest for westward expansion and our economy's expansion. And in reality, we all lose a little when we never have enough. Think about how much excess has become a sign of success today. If we fill our homes with more stuff and better stuff, it's a sign for us of success. If we fill our time with activities, then that busy person feels like I'm successful, I'm so busy. We fill our days with sound, with music, and movies, and podcasts, and news, and our ears are always filled with noise. As a society, we don't really value the person who can sit and be still and silent. We like to fill, fill our bank accounts, our closets, our stomachs, our days, and our ears. We love to have lots of options 
We love choices. And all of this influences the way we answer the question, how much is enough? How much is enough? And most of the time, no matter where you are in life, the answer is always more than I have right now. In the book, Your Money or Your Life, the author studied how a person who increases their income, how that affects their fulfillment in life. And what he found was that when people reach a point when they have enough to survive, so they have just the basics to survive, they have food and water and shelter and access to medical health, when they get to that level, then they experience this sense of fulfillment in life. And then perhaps they are able to um, achieve a little bit more comforts in their life. And when that happens, their fulfillment also increases with that, a little bit of comforts in life. And then perhaps they can add to that a, a few luxuries in their life. And then that kind of helps their, their fulfillment in life increase as well, as the study has found. But that is where it peaks. Because when people add more luxuries on, their fulfillment actually starts to decrease. And that trend continues more and more. As more luxuries are added, the sense of fulfillment continues to drop. But that message is not given to us in commercials and magazines, in the TV shows that we watch. I mean, keeping up with the Kardashians, I mean, we think, wow, so many luxuries. I wish I had all that. And yet, in Yale professor Robert Lane's research, he found this, and this is shocking to me, that once people's earnings rise above the poverty level, an even larger income contributes almost nothing to happiness. Once people's earnings rise above the poverty level, an even larger income contributes almost nothing to happiness. More is actually not always better. Excess does not bring fulfillment or success. So last week, Larry introduced our series, Enough, and he discussed how we can use money as a tool, as a way to look at our heart, what's in our heart, as like a flashlight, kind of shining what's in there and what, um, what truths are in there that we, maybe also some lies that are in there that we believe, and how we use money. We can use it as a way to kind of show us what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about God. Do we use money as a way to feel like we are enough? That unconscious pursuit of feeling like I can say I am enough now. Larry used Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount where he taught about treasure and we're going to read from Matthew chapter 6 and remind ourselves of um, the truth that he talks about here. In verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But then, just a few verses later, um, Jesus continues as he's talking to the crowd. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, over the years, I've heard this, this passage over and over again. And I've noticed something about myself and I think others. When 
I read that um, those verses about you can't serve two masters, you can only you hate one and love the other, um, you can't serve both God and money. I have found myself that I am rarely to a point where I can say, you know what, I think that's me. I think I love money and I hate God. You know, I, um, I love money more than God. You know, it's really hard to be that reflective. So why don't we try and ask some easier questions, maybe that feel a little bit easier to answer. What about what fills me up? What makes me feel like I'm enough? By what standard do I measure other people by? What do I dread losing the most in my life? How do I spend most of my time and my energy and my money? We might use our money to be more productive people. We might use it to have fun or to feel like we're more attractive, to fill us up, to feel loved. And Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, I, I found she has a wonderful blog on um, just giving advice on how money and our emotions kind of go together. And she says this, and I think this is true. Money is never just about the money. Money is never just about the money. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. It's about our hearts and what money is doing for us, how it's filling us up so we know we are enough. But that is the role that God wants to play in our life. He doesn't want our money to do it. And that's why he says you can't serve two masters because you can't be filled up. You can't get your identity from the things and the feelings that we get from money and at the same time get our identity from God. What God wants is to fill us up with his love and his acceptance and his presence. And he knows that money will never get it done for us. It will never achieve what he can in our lives. So, what can we do to work on getting our identity from God and not other places? In the New Testament, we meet a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. This is a man who was highly educated, respected. And then, as he became a follower of Jesus, we kind of follow him around and he travels through Europe and Asia, and we see him living in some pretty extreme conditions. So we see that he sometimes lives and stays and eats with very wealthy Christians. We also see him at other times where he's working as a day laborer, um, as a tent maker to just make enough money so to sustain his own ministry. We see him in jail, under house arrest, and we see him shipwrecked in danger. And still, Paul is able to write this in a letter to the church in Philippi. He says this, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. In fact, Paul is writing these words while he's in prison. He is saying, I am content in prison, that I have enough, that God is enough. But what's interesting to me, what jumps out at, to me in this passage is when 
when Paul says, I have learned to be content. And that's very comforting to me because it isn't just that Paul's just a better guy, right? That he is, he's more spiritual than the rest of us, and that's why he can say it. No, he's saying, I learned to be that. And that gives me hope. That means I can learn to be content. That means we can learn to be content. Paul's life taught him this. His connection with God taught him to be content. And I'm kind of hoping that it doesn't take me being thrown in jail or um, shipwrecked on an island by myself to learn these lessons. And so one of the gifts that we have, one of the ways that we can kind of learn to be content is the spiritual practice of simplicity. And I have to be honest, I have never really understood um, spiritual simplicity very well before. It's a little tongue twister there. Um, Spiritual simplicity. Because it has always kind of made me think of nuns and monks, you know, who aren't allowed to have any material wealth. And so um, this idea that it's something you do to be more spiritual because you're suffering, right? You look at them and they're like, don't have any wealth, and boy, they're suffering, and that's what makes them more spiritual. And I will admit, when we suffer, oftentimes we learn some spiritual truths. But what I have learned is that isn't the point of the practice of simplicity. Larry and I both read a really great book that was very helpful to us, um, a book called Abundant Abundant Simplicity, and it's um, by a woman named Jan Johnson. And for the first time, I started to understand what this spiritual practice was all about. Because for many of us, when we we became Christians, we were kind of taught um, these practices of things that we could do to connect to God. So we could pray. We can um, meditate on God's word. We can serve other people. We can study. We can even give our money generously. Those are things we can do. But there is also great value and spiritual practices that are about not doing. Spiritual practices like silence, like Sabbath, which is just the Hebrew word for don't. Don't stop, right? Hebrew word for stop. Stop doing. Stop producing. Just stop. Fasting. In the Bible, we read about fasting from food. And today, we can kind of apply that to even fasting from media. Stop using media as a way to kind of sustain us. We can take a break from that. And then also simplicity. This practice of not buying more stuff and trying to live a simple life. All of these practices we see in scriptures as ways for us to connect to God. Now our world is all about filling up every space. Every space with sound and with stuff and with food, and with activity. But Jesus came to bring a new kingdom to earth, and in order to reorient ourselves to this new kingdom that Jesus has for us, new values, and um, new worth, new identity in him, we constantly have to kind of reorient ourselves to these values and this identity. And so we have these practices to kind of reorient ourselves every once in a while and to learn to be content in any circumstance. So you might have known that there is kind of a secular trend going on um, around these days, um, very popular, especially for young people, to try to be countercultural by living a very simple life. 
So there's the tiny house um, craze, kind of, this idea of um, building a house that's under 300 square feet. And the idea is it will simplify the owner's life. Or there's several TED Talks and books and blogs about other ways to live simply, whether it's a capsule closet, which is you know just a few things in your closet, or um, I've seen some people who are trying to get people to only have 100 items in their homes. Um, that is another way to do it. So there's lots and lots of things that you can do. Um, it's funny, the other day, Larry and I were, were walking through this store, very cute, um, beautiful store that was all about hiking and camping, which I kind of think is about minimalism, but it was very, like, it was all about that and just beautiful, like, really high-end camping and um, hiking equipment. And so we were just kind of looking around because we couldn't afford anything, but it, um, just kind of enjoying that other people enjoy what we enjoy. Um, and so Larry picks up this hat that on the hat it says, live simply. I'm like, oh, I like that message. And so he picks up the hat and he looks and it's $50. So it's, you know, it's this interesting message, live simply and buy this $50 hat, right? But what I want you to understand is that the purpose of spiritual simplicity is different than these movements. That it isn't about efficiency or increased productivity or even living healthier, more relaxed lives, which can happen if we live simply. But what, it, what spiritual simplicity is about is about making space for treasuring God and getting our identity from him. Because we all use money and we use our time and our energy to get something. Whether it's to feel important to manage other people's opinions about us, to get people to do things we want them to do. Simplicity is different. It gives us a chance to learn what is oftentimes unconscious in our decision-making. And it gives us a chance to really be present in our decisions. Why? Now, making a decision to live simply will look very different for all of us because we are all very different people. And we have different strongholds in our lives, different things that were told to us as children that we are battling. And so um, I don't want to give you a recipe and say this will work for you. What I want you to do is to be aware of when you're challenged to do something hard, what sounds really hard for you to do? And then to figure out why. What is it about that that is hard? And maybe what are you getting from, whether it's using money, buying things, um, eating things, being busy, to give you a chance, to give you space to kind of figure out what's going on there. In the book that I read, uh, she talked about a friend of hers that gave 40 days up to, of buying anything for herself. Now, she went to the grocery store once a week. But she told herself, if I don't have what I think I need at the grocery store, I need to wait a week. I'll make do. And I, I'm not going to buy anything for 40 days. And for her, what she realized in, during that time is how often she thought about wanting to buy something. Um, how often she thought about things she thought she needed. And whenever that would come to mind, she would, she would practice this. She would say to God, God, I can wait. You are enough. 
And what she found out after 40 days was often the things she thought, I really need this. I'll have to wait to get it. Then after 40 days, she was like, I don't really need it. It was about something else. And so this practice of saying, why? Why do I want this? What will buying this object achieve for me? And she realized during this commitment that it brought her into conversation with God more often than she had before. It helped her to figure out what was in her heart, what was going on in there. God, through the prophet Isaiah, he asked a similar question. We see him say, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? He's asking, what's your motivation, to do more or to buy more? And that's the question that we learn, that we search for to answer by doing or not doing things like Sabbath, silence, fasting, simplicity. Now, for some of you, I I imagine that you're like, I got this. I live a simple life, right? This isn't challenging me at all. And I just want to say you're not off the hook. All right? Um, I, some of you are doing this really well, and I look to you uh, and learn from you. But I think that all of us use something to feel like we're enough, whether it's to be more productive, whether it is to save more so we feel like we're good and we're safe and we, we're enough because we know that no matter what comes our way, we have enough in savings to be okay. Maybe it is... Um, the idea of fasting is something you've never done before, and you think, there is no way I could go a day without eating. There is no way that I could go several days without watching something or looking at social media. If, that, if you're feeling like, there's no way I could do that, listen to that. God wants you to think about that for a little bit. We all have different reasons and go to different things to distract us to make us feel better, to get um, love and acceptance from. And so it's important for us to listen to those things that seem really hard, and, and those are the things that you should try to do, those things that seem the hardest, because that is where the space is going to be for you to figure out what's going on, why is that so hard for me. Over the years, um, over a few occasions, I have chosen to do a three-day fast. I don't remember ever doing longer than a three-day fast. <clears throat> I know people who have and survived just fine um, without going without food for, um, for even, you know, up to a week for sure and still go on with their life. Um, but for me, going on a three-day fast where I don't eat anything and just drink water I have found that um, the first time I did it, I thought, this is going to be terribly hard. I don't know if I can do it. I remember thinking, I don't know if I can do this. And I also thought that um, I would kind of have a different experience than I had because at the end of it, I did not feel more spiritual. It wasn't like, I didn't eat anything for three days, and now I'm so enlightened, you know? (laughs) That didn't really happen. Um, And I... um, I, I didn't hear this new word from God when I gave up food. Like, this is what I want you to hear. You know, during your fast, this is what it's all about. Uh, I didn't really have that happen. But what did happen was I realized how much I think about food during the day. 
how much I use food to make me happy, to distract me, to um, do something when I don't know what to do with my hands, with myself, um, how I will use food to reward myself when I'm feeling sad or I did something brave. I'll reward myself with food. And every time I thought about eating and realized I couldn't eat, it gave me a chance to ask the question, why? Why do I want to eat right now? And you know what else I learned? I learned that it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. I learned that um, after a couple of days, it made me mad, first of all. Um, uh, the first two days, it's like, it's just a weird thing that we're so used to getting what we want. And so this, it's just like, I want what I want, you know? And this like kind of discipline of saying, no, I'm not going to get what I want. It, it kind of makes me mad. Um, during the experience and then then day two after day two it gets easier because my body um, and my mind know that I don't need it as much as I think I need it and all of a sudden I have more space and energy for other things now maybe that's easy for you I think um, Larry has an easier time with fasting than maybe some other than me for sure um, but what about silence would it be really hard for you to take a day and say, I'm not going to listen to anything, not music, not podcasts, just silence? Could you do it? Why would it be hard for you? Or Sabbath. Sabbath is hard for all of us. I try to practice Sabbath every single week. Every single week it is hard for me. Why can't we stop doing, stop producing? What feelings and emotions do we have when we try to stop, just stop for an entire day. Here's what I want you guys to hear. Here's what's really important for us to get and that I was confused about for a long time. I thought this stuff was about the behavior. I thought that is what God really wanted for me, to not buy stuff, to not do stuff, to not speak, to not eat. That's what these practices, these these disciplines were really about the, the behavior. I think that's what a lot of us think in the church, that God is just really concerned about behavior. But that isn't what's happening here. And when you look at the Pharisees in Jesus' life, that's what they thought too, right? They practiced Sabbath. They were all about the rules. But they, their hearts were a mess, right? And Jesus saw that. Yes, you got the rules. Yes, you can stop. But you're not using this as a gift to look in your heart and say, what's in there? And so that is what these practices are about, looking at our hearts. I was reminded um, when the lady sang the song Like Oil, and it just reminds us of the story where a woman comes to Jesus, and, he, and she pours expensive perfume on Jesus. And the people around are horrified because it's expensive. It's a waste of money. It's not about the money. It's not about the behavior. They're all like, there are poor people, and we don't spend that much money. We are, live simple lives. And Jesus says, it's about your heart. And I see her heart. And it's okay. The money she spends, it's okay. Because it's about her heart that she loves me. And I see your heart. And I see that you don't want to be extravagant. You don't want to show your love to me. That is what it's about, our hearts. It's not about behavior. It's about looking and saying, 
how, um, how are we getting filled up? How are we getting our identity? And you can use these practices to say, this is making me enough, right? You can say, oh, I do this really, really well, so I get a gold star. I'm, I'm on the top because I, I can do Sabbath and I can do silence and I can, I can live a simple life, and so that makes me better. But that isn't the heart of Jesus. That isn't getting our identity from him. These practices are just that way for us to say, why? Why is this so hard for me? Why don't I feel enough without doing or having or achieving? So during my um, preparation for this message and this whole series, um, I have I've really um, struggled with some like realities of how I use money. And so um, I kind of seen several lists of things and challenges that I could do uh, for simplicity. But the one that was really hard for me was this. Try to only wear clothes that don't have any brand labels visible to others. And I realized that for that one, that would be a challenge for me. And I had to ask myself why. And I had to do some internal work. And this is where my heart led me. I realized that oftentimes I buy brands not just because I like the way they look, but I like that they say that I'm on trend, that I'm current, and I want it to say that I'm young. <laughs> and um, what I, when I asked myself why, what does that do for me, I realized I realize that I want to be accepted by others. That's really what it's about. I want to be accepted by others. I want to be enough for them. And I think that these brands will help. Help me feel accepted. Now maybe that isn't a challenge for you. Um, maybe if I said for a week just eat rice and beans like so many of the world do every single day, would that be a hard challenge for you? Do the work and figure out why. Or maybe um, during the holidays when you're giving gifts instead of re-gifting those things, you know re-gifting where you get something that you don't really like for yourself, but you're like, it's pretty good, so I could re-gift it and give it to another person. What if you re-gifted something you liked that you really don't want to give up? I remember the first year when um, we moved to New York City God asked me to do something. He hasn't asked me this clear, something like this since, but it was very clear that he was asking me to give away a bracelet that friends of mine and my women's Bible study in Ohio gave me before I moved. And the bracelet said, you are loved. And um, I wore it every single day the first year we lived here as a reminder how much uh, my friends loved me and supported me and were praying for me. And I felt like God was saying, give it away. And I was like, nope. <laughs> that can't possibly what he's asking me to do. And, you know, but it wouldn't go away. It kept happening. And so I did give it away to somebody I love dearly. And uh, I realized what God was saying to me was a gift. He was saying, I'm giving you new friends, new family. Be ready. Trust me. And that message, you are loved, I didn't need it every day. Um, all right, so, uh, <laughs> so, 
So uh, maybe another thing for you would be uh, to give up going out on the weekends, whether it was for a season of time, you know, not going out to the movies, not going out to restaurants, not going out to dance clubs, whatever you do, to, and go out and spend a lot of money and have a lot of fun. Um, what if you instead invited people over to your house and just play games and just eat simple things like, like soup and bread or tortillas? Right? Simple stuff. I think sometimes the fear is, will, will that be good enough? Do they like me enough to just do those things? It would be a good experiment for many of us to do. Isaiah 55 says this, Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? But then he says this, Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, listen, that you may live. I think he's saying, do the work. Figure it out. Figure out what's going on, why you feel like you need to spend money on more or do more. Do that work. And when you do that work and you get your identity in me, then you can delight in God's goodness. Then it isn't about anything else. That's what the woman did, right? She delighted in the goodness of this beautiful perfume and the delight of people around her. We can be content with or without, so we can truly delight in God's riches. Now, I heard last week that Larry talked about how he made a kind of a confession that um, as a teaching team, sometimes we have to teach on things that are really hard for us. And I heard that he made a joke that um, maybe that isn't true for me, Guys, that was such a joke <laughs> because um, he's my husband and we work together every day and he knows, like he knows more than anybody else, he knows that this stuff does not come easy to me, that I struggle. And over the last couple of weeks, it's just been um, maybe painfully obvious how much um, I still need to get my identity from other places besides God. And what I realized is, how can I expect you, even though I want you guys to get that your identity is in Christ, I want you to get that, and I want my daughters to get that, but how do I expect you to get that if I can't get it myself? And so I've been really trying to learn, learn to ask the questions, why, why do I want this? And all, oftentimes I have to admit that I don't like the answers I get but I'm trying to learn. And so during that time, um, it's been a comfort for me to listen to Lauren Daigle's new album, Look Up Child, a lot. If you haven't listened to it, I, I encourage you to. Um, we've been singing her song, You Say, that powerful song, and I've been trying to remember the words, I believe, I believe what you say of me. But I've also been reminding myself of another song and the lyrics in that song called Everything. And I'm going to read um, the lyrics to that song, and hopefully they comfort you as well. She says, even the sparrow has a place to lay its head, so why would I let worries steal my breath? Even the roses, you have glowed them brilliant red, still I'm the one you love more than this. You give me everything. You give me everything I need. 
She says, even the oceans push and pull at your command so you can still my heart with your hand. You tell the seasons when it's time for them to turn. So I will trust you even when it hurts. You give me everything. You give me everything I need. And when I can't see, you lead me. And when I can't hear, you show me. And when I can't stand, you carry me. And when I'm lost, you will find me. And when I'm weak, you are mighty. You are everything I need. Guys, I'm learning. I'm trying to learn to be able to say, I can be content no matter any circumstances because, God, you are enough in me. And my hope and prayer is that if I can learn that, we all can learn that too. Let's pray.